And now a special report. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. The comments you hear do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. And that's the way it is. So, uh, I think it was last episode, uh, I, one of us, I think it was me, made a kind of a casual comment about how we needed to have a UCAP version of... Uh, we, we have Air Venture Blues, which James did mm-hmm. um, a few years back, James and Rick, and uh, we wanted to have a, a UCAP Blues. And, uh, and you know, all you have to do is ask because a listener has written, oh my God. <laughs> written a, uh, a, the word, the lyrics based on a, an existing tune. He's written lyrics to, uh, to something that he calls the UCAP blues. And, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge this, uh, um, I suspect others are going to be working on this as well. So this may not oh, become yeah. the UCAP blues, but this is, this is one version of the UCAP. This is listener, uh, pilot Bill from Texas. Okay. Yeah. He did a phenomenal job. And, uh. Uh, it's kind of cool. And it, it, it's after in the I forums. get a little rehearsal time, I'm going to sing it off key, just like he suggests. <laughs> how 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 else would you be able to sing it? Oh, in my opera voice. Where did? Oh, it's in the song here that he made some references. Where's the line from the song? He talks about the three of us. He kinda, apparently, these are the things that stand out about our personalities here. Hang oh. on, it's in here. Liney's on the table. Skype ringing in the ear. Dave singing off key. You cat podcasters here. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. We don't want no lectures. We don't want no flight school. We know we gotta fly safe. We ain't no fools. Yeah. We talk about the government. The FAA man gets us down. TSA man, get off my back. Don't make me drown. Bring me a cold beer. Just let me be. My friends I never met are talking to me. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, uh, Pilot uh, yeah. Pilot Bill from Texas, for the first version of UCAP Blues. Maybe we need to have. I'm, I'm sure that you know well, the yeah, multiple could, versions is perfectly yeah, I was fine. Say multiple versions. We'll just string them together like American Pie. <laughs> Like a big, yeah. long song. That's what people are looking for. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, UCAP and American Pie, they all go together. Motherhood, motherhood, American Pie, and the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. And, and, and of course, Lineys. That's right. That's right. Well, on that note, I'll say welcome, folks, to episode 140 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on... Uh, what is it? Tuesday morning, June sixteenth, two thousand nine. And uh, let me say hi to my friends here in the hangar with me. Uh, one of those voices out there is Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how you doing? Really nice. Survived another uh, night of you don't want to fly here weather last night, and uh, flooded streets, a few down tree limbs. Uh, and overnight evening of uh, late night with tornado watch over our whole area. And first I've heard this morning, everything's still standing. So that's mm. a good outcome. Yeah. No tornadoes in your neighborhood yet this year? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's no uh, big deal. Tornadoes, it happens all the time. Well, the Vortex, the Vortex 2 uh, tornado chasing crew uh, that you can see uh, – uh, 
pretty regularly on the uh, Weather Channel. Has been out here in Tornado Alley for a couple of months now. Uh, three different organizations they're chasing around. Uh, they showed a graphic uh, over the weekend of how many tornadoes have occurred so far this year in the belt, and it was up in the middle double digits. Hmm. Uh, and now, you know that's that's not unusual. Uh, and most tornadoes don't make big news because they 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 they're short. They 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 don't last very long. Uh, and they hit out in the boonies where the only thing they might really damage is some wheat crop and some fence lines. Uh, so we haven't had anything catastrophic like the Greenberg tornado of a couple of years ago. So mm. are these are the, the the counting that they do? Are these tornadoes that have touched down, or tornadoes yes. that they've identified via radar, or I think it's tornadoes other? that they've seen, physically seen. So they've probably missed a few. They, they may have missed a few. That's that sucks. Hey, it happens every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's no tornadoes out here in Las Vegas. I'm in Las Vegas this week for uh, the uh, the uh, HP Tech Forum, which is a big uh, Hewlett Packard industry show, and uh, I'm here for ten days. And uh, I, you know, ten days is just about well, maybe it's even for me a little bit too much Las Vegas, but. Uh, but then I've been stuck indoors working on the show all week long, so it's not like I've seen a lot of Las Vegas. I've been outdoors maybe four times. I've been somewhere, here. How long have I been here? Now? An I've been, Apple keyboard is lonely. Yeah, I've been here four days now, and uh, uh, and Who's I think that I've, been, other voice? I've stepped outdoors like uh, just a few times. Um, but uh, but I'm having a good old time. Uh, I. I asked specifically this last year when I was here. They just gave me whatever room they gave me, and I had a room sort of facing to the west, facing to uh, the uh, the hills towards the west, which is a very pretty view. Mm-hmm. But um, the Mandalay Bay Hotel, which is where I'm staying, is down at the southern edge of the Strip. Um, the other thing, other one of the other notable things down the southern end of the Strip is uh, is uh, McCarran International Airport, the big airport here uh, at Las Vegas. So I made a note to myself, and this year I actually requested a room overlooking the airport and uh, and i got it and so i'm on the 12th floor um overlooking uh, the uh, the airport here and it's kind of fun you know it's I'm, yeah i don't know whether this is unusual i would imagine they get a lot of people saying i don't want to be facing the airport you know mm-hmm. um so you know maybe it was a, a special thing but it's been pretty cool to watch out the window and and uh, and see the airplanes coming and going uh Seeing the uh, the airliners come and go is is the least of what's interesting out my window. Um, it's uh, I posted a couple of pictures and I don't know if you guys can can see these pictures. There's, if you refresh your browser, I just fixed it so they're clickable. Okay, which go to uh, one one forty. Oh, okay, that one. Refresh. Okay. All right. And so there's three pictures here. Uh, the first one is just sort of a general view out my window, so that you can see that uh, you can sort of see that there's the airport out there. And then the uh, next one is, or the next two are close-ups of uh-huh. a couple of notable views out my window. So I'm looking out my window. Remember, this very minute there's an airplane, uh, some sort of jetliner landing uh, on the. This is the north-south runway. Is sort of right in front of me. Is it dark out there? Right, still. Uh, it's it's starting to be be you know. Okay. Light. Okay. The sun is not up yet, but uh, it's light enough for me to see. Um, and uh, we need to learn you how to use Photoshop. Uh, oh, you, you, you're criticizing my picture here. You need to do some color correction. You know, I actually did some color correction. This is better than it was. It was kind of green before. 
I think part of the problem is that the oh, I wonder if I can find another. I think it's the, the window glass windows is your problem. Tenet, yeah, the, yeah. The Mandalay yeah. Bay Hotel has golden colored windows. Right, right. the windows are tinted. And and so I wouldn't be surprised if the golden colored windows are filtering out some of the spectrum here, mm-hmm. uh, because the pictures were even more skewed in color color correction, and and I kind of made them a little bit more blue. I think they were a little more green so, or something. So who's that other voice out there? Are you really hearing another voice? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking uh, about. There's an echo, echo, echo. I think I think Dave's point is you've not completed the introductions. Oh, oh. See, you know why? <laughs> okay, wait a minute. All right. I said hi to Dave. All right. That's right. I said hi to Dave. Okay. It's 5 o'clock in the morning, folks. Come I'm not on. complaining. Cut me some Dave, slack no, here. I'm just trying to make sure that the communication I thought, is... I thought Dave was hinting that I forgot to introduce myself, but I did even worse than that. That other second voice out there is... <laughs> That's Jeb, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Jeb. How we doing? I'm good, I guess. Obviously, (laughs) jet-lagged even after four days. Dave's dropping these hints, and I'm just ignoring them, you know? And uh, what's going on in Sarasota? We'll come back to Las Vegas in a second here. Yeah, um, um, just another day in paradise. Uh Uh-huh. has it? Uh, the, you know, I, I haven't been paying attention. Like I said, I've been been had my head down here in Las Vegas for yeah. whatever it's been four or five days so far now. Um, did it snow someplace in America that it's not supposed to snow? South Dakota, because it's June. I mean, even South Dakota right. isn't supposed to get snow right. in June. And uh, I know one of the things that I've always liked about flying out west was that uh, the, some of the mountains never lose their snow caps, so they're easy mm-hmm. to miss. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a great big white strobe light out there. Say, don't that's hit right. me. Don't hit said, me. That's right. Turn away. Turn that's right. Away. Nature's beacon, right? Nature's beacon right. is the. Uh, Na- nature's way to say, right. stay away. Yeah. So, and just for completeness sake, I'll say that I am Jack Hodgson. <laughs> and today I'm talking to you from uh, the 12th story of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in uh, beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. One more consequence of the hotels in Las Vegas not having in-room coffee. Yeah, yeah I know. No coffee here. For, and it's just, I could have gone downstairs and found coffee, but it's just like I was just barely dragging myself out of bed at this hour. I was going to say, you could probably gone downstairs, Wi-Fi this from the coffee shop. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we would have mm-hmm. had the lovely tinkling sound of one-armed bandits in the back. Hey, that would have been something. That, and there probably wouldn't be that many people to, to be in the way. Yeah, it's probably fairly quiet down there this hour. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. Uh, so I was. You know, I always figured that gambling and aviation had one thing in common. What's that? They take money. Yeah. Yep. Not a lot. Although, although I was wondering where you're going to go with that. I, I am. I am in the plus column on my gambling again this year. I, uh, Way to go! I, I'm up like about three dollars and seventy five cents. What's your favorite game? <laughs> we talked about this before. I play uh, twenty five cent slots. That's it. When oh, I was okay. when I was younger, <laughs> when I was younger, I experimented with serious gambling, and I learned my lesson. And uh, right. so I don't do that anymore. Um, but I do enjoy twenty five cent video poker, and so I'll just sit down and uh uh and uh, and play 25 cent video poker for a while every last, evening last time i was in lost wages um i, I remember being up about 100 100 and a quarter on blackjack and, mm. and walked away there you go smart yeah. uh, you're way smarter and, than you look uh, that's good yeah. uh, well you know um they weren't bringing me drinks at the time so i figured well you know now's a good time to take my winnings and go find a drink somewhere yeah, yeah. there you go well, you and I stayed at a hotel there 
it seems like it was diagonally across the intersection from uh, a hard rock cafe. Yeah, yeah. That had no casino in it. Right. It was a business person's hotel. With yeah, I know like the one you're talking about. And all that. I know the one you're talking about. I don't think I ever stayed there, but I attended a, 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 a some sort of well, press it, conference thing. It almost backed up to McCarran because uh-huh. uh, if we stood out front waiting for a cab, uh, we could look straight ahead and see arrivals to the south yeah. front. Right, right. It's yeah, because I, I know the hotel you're talking. about. What's it called? It's called the Something Garden Hotel. The uh, I don't know. I know the one you're talking about, um, and uh, I've, I've visited there. And you're right. There's a handful that you know. The smaller ones have no casinos. It's mm-hmm. like the Motel Six, and although the Motel Six might have a casino now too, I don't know. But yeah, you know, I'm sure they have um, um, one-armed bandits. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. So getting back to the view out my window and my poorly photoshopped pictures here. Um, the main reason I posted these pictures, I wanted to talk to you guys about these here. Yeah, um, now I have to. I have to open them again. Yeah. So uh, one of them just sort of sets the scene. You can see that you can see the airport off in the distance, not too far away, but a bit, but sort of across the strip and then across some uh, some uh, uh, parking lots and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, the side of the airport that I'm on here is you can see the uh, the airline terminal is in the distance. It's on the far side of the airport. Mm-hmm. But on this side of the airport is basically the GA uh, side of the airport. And mm-hmm. uh, as you might imagine, uh, Las Vegas Airport, the GA terminal is not like, you know, at Palo Alto. It's uh, um, there are some small airplanes I can see every now and then. But there's all sorts of I mean, like, you know, yeah, a civilian would look at them and think they were airliner. You know, airline aircraft. I mean, I see two, not one. I I put a picture there of uh, when there was only one, but now I see two private 747s uh, sitting, oh, or, really? or, or at least non-airline 747s, okay, uh, sitting on the ramp over here. And that's the uh, the second of the two pictures. You can see one of the 747s kind of peeking out from behind the building. I yeah, I see that. Um, looks kind of like an SP. Yeah, it does. Sh- it's it's short, older, shorter. Yeah. yeah, it does look kind of yeah. short. It's kind of stubby, and now yeah. there's a second one there, um, sort of facing in the other direction, slightly overlapping. And uh, I'm I'm far enough away I can't quite see how far apart they are. But there's two of those on the ramp over there, and then the uh, the other picture that I sent you shows uh, a ramp filled with now. And I was trying to identify these. They, are those seven thirty sevens? You see the picture? They look like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. just a bunch of them out there. Uh, the picture I sent you shows what one, two, uh, five of them, I think. Now, are they um, are identically painted? Yes. When I first looked at that, I thought they were United Seven Threes, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, but then again, oh, I look at them again, and no, they're not. You know what I think that might be? What? And that's also uh, what, I see what you're saying that that likeness to the but that's like yeah. two or three United paint jobs ago. Uh, United yeah. planes are not painted yeah. like that anymore. You know, there's a shuttle, um, and I don't know exactly who runs it, but it's it's government. But there's a shuttle from McCarran up to the Area 51. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, oh that could be what it okay. is. Yeah, and I, I don't know exactly who runs that, but they use seven threes. Yeah, and now, I think that's some of what you're looking at. Yesterday, well, uh, you know, looking at air carrier airports and GA airports, you know, you're going to see seven thirty sevens kind of in the same way. You almost always see Skyhawks. Right. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, Skyhawks, the biggest selling piston single or biggest selling airplane in history. 
737 is the largest selling airliner in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so it's 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 hard to it's hard to go to a primary or a uh, hub airport and not see scads of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, uh, the other afternoon, I peeked out my window, and there was even more sitting on this ramp that you're seeing in this picture. Mm. Well, we will, of course, put a link to these pictures in the show notes if everybody wants to kind of yeah. take a look at yeah. them. But uh, there was even more. There's there's like five in the picture here when I took it a couple of days ago, and then uh, like the next day, there were probably two or three more out there. There was just a slew of them. Interestingly, now I look out now, and there's only one out there. They're all gone doing their well, thing. Some of the casinos, some of the casino hotels. That's the other thing. They bring in tour run- groups. Yeah. Run shuttles. That's right. And well, they 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 don't have the operating certificate, but they contract with somebody who does. Uh, and some of them don't send airplanes. You know, they bring in tour groups in seven thirty seven. Some of them bring in high rollers and G fives. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, of biz jets. Those, those those were some of the people that uh, uh, conversed with me about the adverse aspects of the TSA's large aircraft security right. program when uh, when you got a casino operation ferrying in high rollers who may not necessarily want family to know where they're going or other people to know what they're spending right, yeah. uh, to have to be cleared by the government and we've seen more insanity out of that agency and I'll, I'll visit a little bit with some help our listeners gave us in coming up with some useful names for them oh that's right yeah yeah mm-hmm. well another thing too is is uh, you know there's a lot of different um operating regulations there's 121 there's 135 there's 125 125 part 125 um this is um like the flying clubs I'm sorry, the travel clubs and large aircraft basically operated by um, um, groups. Um, and some of these could be, in fact, one part 125 operations. Uh, oh, so basic- 125 was cargo. Huh. No. Uh-uh. Hmm. Um, uh, someone told me a story one time, and, and it you know, may or may not be true, but, uh, of course, once upon a time, this used to be Howard Hughes's town. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and Howard Hughes, as we discovered many years later, was very active in helping various elements of our government, notably the CIA, in, in various activities. One of the rumors he was, was... He was paid handsomely, handsomely for it. Yes. And yeah. um, and, uh, but one of the rumors someone told me one time is that, is that part of this private ramp or the GA ramp on this side of the airport was dedicated to what someone characterizes Air America. Uh, uh-huh. That there were all sorts of... Uh, of uh, you know, sort of uh, black operations running out of here. I'm not sure if that was true or not, but uh, uh, but that may be what evolved into the uh, the air, the quote unquote airline that takes people up to Area 51. And uh, some of it was, yeah. yeah. As I as I so, understand, I'm, I've never been close to it. Yeah. Don't have any intimate knowledge. But. The other cool thing, maybe the most cool thing in terms of watching aviation out my window here, is that there's uh, what appears to be a couple of uh, helicopter tour flight operations that operate mm-hmm. out of this side of the airport. And they do this really cool thing where they, um, the, the, I, I can't, 
I don't think I can actually eyeball where those ramps are. I know one of these helicopter ramps is down to the right, and it's outside of my field of view. Um, but you see it all the time. They take off and they, they go in groups. You know, they don't, this is not like a random thing where like one they get to fill up a helicopter and, they, and it goes out for a ride. They seem to do these things in like little fleets, you know, like flights of four or something like that. And so, although they don't go in formation, they'll go in kind of loose trail. And uh, what they do is so picture this: the you got the north-south runway, sort of in the distance. You got the GA ramp in you know, on this side of that. And uh, what happens is these uh, helicopters will take off sort of to the south, and then they will immediately – they're basically doing a 270 departure, all right? They'll uh, do a 180 to kind of now go north. They fly sort of along the Las Vegas Strip for a little bit until they get past the uh, arrival end of the southbound runway, and then they turn, turn I guess it's east, uh, and head out over the mountains. I, my understanding is that these are Grand Canyon tours. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, yeah. Grand Canyon and or Lake Mead. Lake Mead tours, yeah. yeah. And, uh, the Hoover Dam. But it's really cool to yeah. watch these things These things uh, take off. You know, they kind of take off and do this sharp 180 and then go up the strip and then and climbing all the time, all right? And then, then once they get past the uh, the edge of the airport, to veer off to the east and disappear, you know? And then, and by the time one of them's made the turn to the east, another one is flying by you, uh, climbing out. And you know, there'll be like four or five of them will go at a time. Uh, and it's kind of fun to watch because they're, although they're higher than me on the 12th floor, they're not a lot higher than me on the 12th floor. So when they go yeah. by my window, that's kind of cool. Well, they probably uh, have an altitude limitation, and they also have a, uh, a lateral limitation when they come yeah. in and out. Yeah, it appears, uh, tower, yeah. Ta- tower wants them away from the main runway right. and, uh, you know, below a certain altitude. Yeah. This yeah. north-south runway is not the big runway um, here at, at McCarran. The, uh, the, it, it's merely 9,000 feet long or something like oh, that. Oh, it's the north-south runway there is the crosswind runway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. big runway is like I don't know what it is to ten thousand feet or something like that. I don't have the well, notes in front of me, but uh, if if you if you want to, if you want to treat yourself to one of the most spectacular sights man's ever created, fly into Vegas from the east mm-hmm. at night. At mm-hmm. night? Oh yeah, because you come over come the hills, over the mountains back there. You'll see the you'll see the the glow on the horizon. 75 miles back uh, yeah yeah you know you, you can you can switch you can switch off gps at that point yeah exactly well yeah pretty much and uh uh the uh the the sight that unfolds as you get to the mountains and cross over of this you know vast sea of neon mm-hmm. uh it's just it's it's one of the most striking sights uh, ever because yeah. there are a few cities lit. I mean, you know, Los Angeles has got a lot of lights. New York City obviously has got some distinctive illumination. Chicago, Atlanta, they all have their their patterns. That, that there's no place on the earth lit the way that Las Vegas is lit. Yeah. And coming in there. Uh, number of years ago, Jeb and I were both headed there in separate aircraft together uh, to cover a helicopter association convention. And uh, approach routed me over the lake and in between some mountains over McCarran and in a turn to the north to go up to Vegas North where I was landing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like getting a tour of the city at oh, night, yeah. except with the added attraction of you know, 737s and 727s and DC-9s, uh, you know, to your left, below you, to your right, and above you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, 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 you got to take in everything because 
geez, the head was on a swivel, but just absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, the con- controller told me to fly the Space Needle. I'm like, Space Needle? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, as I got closer, I figured it out, but um, you almost need a, um, a night VFR chart, which would be mostly black with a bunch of, of white spots on it. Uh, to navigate in that area at night, well, navigate VFR in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but as I say, once I got closer to it, I figured it all out and um, didn't embarrass myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, always nice when the controllers, you know, figure that everybody knows the local landmarks that they're right. used to using. Right. Uh, so for so for first time fly-in visitors, uh, that kind of thing uh, isn't always helpful. Now, Space Needle. That was pretty obvious once you got over yeah. the mountains, what they were talking yeah. about. If they'd have told you to fly, fly the pyramid, you'd have known what they were talking about pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but not, some some parts of the country, when they use little, you know, local landmarks like that, VFR checkpoints, uh, it's not helpful. Right. Because kind of you're stumbling it's, around out there going, uh, I don't know what that is. It's counterproductive. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not in the it's not in the GPS database that way. One la- one last helicopter story here. So one of the, when when some of these helicopter tour aircraft return, and I don't know if these are the the uh, Grand Canyon ones or whether these are local up and down the Strip tours, but what they do is they're coming southbound, sort of basically along the Las Vegas Strip, uh, and but they're sort of to the west of the Strip. They're actually on the far side of the hotel here from the airport, and uh, if you're in the right place at the right time, you hear them coming. And then what happens is that they pull this hard 180 turn around the south of this hotel, uh, which kind of puts them into the vicinity of their ramp. But it's really cool to watch because they're coming down from the south. They fly along the hotel, and all of a sudden they just pull hard they do this 180 turn. You know, basically uh, they're doing the carrier approach. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure that's a pretty good thrill for the uh, passengers, which I think is probably the whole point. That's and, uh, probably why they do it. Yeah, and uh, I was looking at it going, I want to do that. You know, so I've been thinking about getting a, getting buying myself a ride in one of these helicopters. I don't know. But, oh, you ought to, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and cool. dusk is the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, yeah, because when the, when the, the colors yeah, would be great. and uh, yeah. You get an afternoon flight out to Lake Mead or, 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 or uh, the Grand Canyon uh, on, uh, on, on a slot that's going to bring you back in just as the light's starting to fade. That's a boo-wah. Yeah, yeah, it'd be uh-huh. cool. be cool. Let's see. So, what else is going on in the world? That's my that's my Las Vegas thing. So, I'm I'm looking out my window here, and uh, the the sun will rise right out my window. Uh, although, what time is it? It's uh, now the sun has already risen. It's five forty five here in 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 Las Vegas, which means the sun is. It's kind of it's not overcast, but it's it's mostly cloudy here this morning, hmm. and uh, and so the sun is being blocked by the clouds out there. But I do see great mountains in the distance, and uh, I just think it's beautiful out here. I love it. Yeah, it is. It's it's definitely a. Um, um, change of pace from new england that's for sure. it surely is it surely is other news here um you know i don't i didn't give you a link to this because i, I didn't have one I, again i'm wandering by a tv as i wandered by so many tvs in the last few days uh i saw a news story about how uh some sort of demonstration of using a, a civilian 747 as a fire bomber uh, have you ever yeah. seen these things? This is like uh, yeah, it drops a lot of water it's, it's, all at one time. Yeah, it's not. Um, it, it's not a new thing this season. It's it's been used like that before. There's also, and there's it's on YouTube. Uh, there's some a DC-10 
used as a water bomber. Now, it, the uh, virtue of this is simply it can drop more water all at once, or, or? well, it, it, it there's that. It it obviously has um, you know a lot of of uh, load carrying capability, but it also has um, some efficiencies of scale, where you can load this sucker up, and uh, it can orbit um, for a while, and then you know, drop some water or some retardant on one area and see how that's working and then come back and, and drop some more of its load. Right. It doesn't have to drop all of its load at the same time. Yeah. Um, smaller tankers, um, I don't know, like maybe a, um, a C-130 or an Orion or um, um, uh, some of the um, the older um, cargo um, or... Um, uh, military aircraft from World War II, Korea. Um, generally, I mean, certainly they can they can um, uh, control their dump, uh, but generally they dump all of their load at the same time. Right, right. Now well, I was this is to- this is another one of Evergreen International's projects, and for those who yeah, aren't speaking of Air America and Howard Hughes, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Evergreen Evergreen International is right. uh, a big freight cargo operation that also uh, operates a, a, a firefighting division and converts aircraft to, uh, to special purposes. Uh, and Evergreen's 747, I think it's probably the biggest aerial firefighting tanker mm-hmm. operating right now. Uh, prior to that, they did a DC-10. Uh, they've always uh, gone after some of the largest, most uh, cycle-efficient aircraft available and as Jeb was alluding to you know uh, not only can this 747 carry a boatload but they can control the drops in a way that it makes it useful for multiple trips or multiple passes I should mm-hmm. say uh, and then you got to reload it yeah. and it, it, it doesn't do like those great uh, uh, Bombardier uh, CL that's exactly what I was thinking about, Dave. That's exactly what I was. Wouldn't that be cool though if it could? Yeah, the uh, big scoop. Yeah, so the Bombardier you're referring to can refill itself by actually finding a lake that's sufficiently large or long or whatever, and mm-hmm. and going down and and basically continuing to fly and and skimming the surface of the water, collecting water as it goes. So mm-hmm. uh, right. it, can, it fills its tanks in just a few seconds. Right. Um, <clears throat> I want to see the 747 do that. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. You, it would probably um, only happen once. Yeah, the thing about the 747 is that I think the engines are actually hanging a little bit too low yeah. <laughs> to make that feasible. Uh, and we all know that development on water-powered fan jets is you know, woefully lagging here. So... Uh, I guess they could drag a tube, uh-huh. but that would have to be a hell of a tube to stand up to those kind of loads. Yeah, yeah. but I've given uh, I've given Jack a link. Yeah, I'm to, looking at this uh, YouTube video from Evergreen that shows how this puppy works, and right. uh, it's it's just amazing how how long a swath it puts down. Uh, God, it's got to be a mile long. Yeah. Now, I heard a. I, I want to say that the story that I heard or saw on the news recently was making reference to doing a demonstration of this at some event, some air show or something. And uh, that's just got to be a trip that's like the crowd's going to get wet. You know, it's. Uh, 
uh, how do you not? I, I think we've done a couple couple of things. The the idea of of building in a scoop into the belly of an amphibious aircraft you know, wasn't something that that Bombardier created. They've done that with uh, uh, surplus PB uh, PBYs mm-hmm. for a number of years. The PBY uh, can't carry a whole lot. I mean, it, it, volumetrically, it's it's uh, it's okay and and it's got a good uh, you know useful load, but uh, um, it wasn't built for that purpose. So the the Bombardier is purpose built, but still, you're looking at um, you know a, a relatively uh, small. Uh, a water bomber when compared to you know a, a converted seven four DC ten. Yeah, but but what uh, about what about turnaround time? Does it is it still is it well, still efficient? Well, that's the beauty of the of the PBY and the and the Canadair. Uh, uh, I think it's a CL four fifteen or something like that. Yeah, um, uh, comes with both pistons and uh, turbine engines. That's the beauty though of those of the uh, the scoopable water bombers is all they need is a lake with with clear approaches and and they can go you know hopefully it'll be fairly close by so their cycle times are much shorter than if uh you know i'm, I'm doing a 7.4 and i have to go find a a runway that's capable of handling a, a loaded 7.4 takeoff b um with the ground handling equipment um, and and the fire retardant available, so yeah, just, you know, all, all of those little things have to kind of fall into place. Yeah. The uh, the smaller uh, scoop equipped water bombers are much um, much more flexible in that regard. Right. Yeah. yeah. They 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 can work really close to the scene if there's water available. They don't need much depth in the water. Yeah. That's a right. few inches. Uh, and like Jeb said, clear approaches. But clear approaches is a relative thing with that aircraft. Uh, if I remember right, uh, if they can get a mile of water, yeah, uh, they can get in, get retopped, because uh, when the aircraft was in flight test here at uh, Learjet Flight Test Center in Wichita, uh, they uh, let me get a look at it close up, and the scoop, uh, the structure in the scoops is built like a tank. I mean, you know, it's going really fast yeah. against the resistance of water. Uh, and it's got all these uh, little, it's a grid work structurally. And then there's a big vent on the top of the fuselage that's pointed backward. Mm-hmm. So as the aircraft comes down and makes contact with the scoop and starts pulling in water, that vent at the top isn't just letting air vent out, flow out. It's actually creating negative pressure. Mm-hmm. To make that sup that puppy fill all that much faster, so uh, you know they can do several more runs an hour with that aircraft than almost anything comparable. If yeah. the uh, water was is within five miles, hmm. yeah. There's a, a movie out there that has some pretty interesting firefighting scenes in it. Um, called Always. Yeah. I think we've talked about this. We have film great movies yeah, on right. many levels. Holly yeah. Hunter, Holly Hunter, Richard Dreyfuss. Um, um, uh, <laughs> what's, I can't think of what's the third um, guy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll think of. Oh, oh uh, well, well, the uh, the Roseanne guy. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Roseanne's husband, whose name I can't remember. Good, but, good uh, men. Good. There, there's a couple of one of the the opening scene actually is of a P. It's a long lens shot of a PBY flying down onto the surface of a lake, scooping up water. And in the foreground are two guys fishing in a John boat. And <laughs> yeah. they, they don't see the PBY behind them. 
uh, until about the time the PBY lifts off, and of course they dive out of the boat, and it's you know it's a funny opening scene. But there's some <clears throat> there's some scenes of dropping retardant, um, things like that that are, are to me anyway kind of interesting. Yeah, um, it's not the sum total of the movie, but uh, John Goodman. Um, Thank you very much. John you had to Google and, it. And Brad you? Johnson did, yes. plays the love interest uh, uh-huh. pilot. That's a remake, too. It's a remake of, of a movie of, uh, called A Guy Named Joe. Right. right. Although the original right. wasn't about, fu- about firebombing. It wasn't was about, it? It was about firebombing, no. No, it, it no was. it was about World War II bomber pilots and uh, ah. uh, or fighter pilots, I should say. And uh, Spencer Tracy uh-huh. was uh, the uh, Richard Dreyfus character. And... Gemini, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy that played the Brad Johnson character. Uh, Van. Van Johnson? Van Johnson, right. That's funny. Van Johnson and Brad Johnson playing the same character. I, I don't know. Are they movies 50 years apart or 40 years apart? What was the movie always, called? Always. Oh, 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 a guy named Joe? A guy named Joe. Okay. A yeah. guy named Joe. And um, that was also the always version, anyway, was also Audrey Hepburn's last film. That's right. Here it is. A guy named Joe. Let's see now. A guy named Joe, 1943. Spencer Tracy, Irene Dunn, and Van Johnson. And uh, uh, Lionel Barrymore, Barry Nelson, Esther Williams. Esther Williams? Small parts. This is lower down. Lionel Lionel Barrymore was kind of the head angel that sent Spencer Tracy back to be the piloting muse for Van Johnson's really crappy stick and rudder skills. Yeah. <laughs> a sentimental patriotic Hollywood fantasy about a dead World War II bomber pilot, Major Pete Sandage, who becomes guardian angel to another pilot, guiding Randall, uh, the, the, guiding the second pilot uh, through battle and helping him to romance his old girlfriend. Despite and what's her. wonderful is that the same kind of airplanes starred in both movies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to find out whether the original movie, though, has the scene with the dress. That's a whole other. You oh, know, well, uh, the, the yeah, Holly was, Hunter arrives yeah. at the party in the dress. Right. Yeah, all right. so, girl clothes. Yeah, girl clothes. Exactly. That's right. That was a great. <laughs> I'm sure it won't surprise you to learn that I have that DVD. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise what a surprise uh, yes. so 747 fire bomber that's kind of cool and uh just uh, another great example of general aviation and the public service work that it provides that you that's a good point no airline no airlines are out there fighting fires sorry that's right. although evergreen international is technically an airline uh what they're doing is strictly ga work yeah, now t- tell me about Evergreen Airlines because in my head, Evergreen Airlines um, was born of some sort of Air America type operation. Is that apocryphal or is that true? What do you, what do you know about Evergreen Airlines? Not, not that I know of. They've, they've been a long time uh, uh, cargo outfit that kind of specialized in odd jobs and, and, and outsized <laughs> stuff and uh, non standard routes. And they did a lot of contract work. Yeah, oh, in and of itself, you know, outsized cargo, non-standard routes, um, you might think that they were uh, an Air America offshoot. And in fact, they might have gotten their start flying, you know, some contract work um, for Air America or for um, um, some other, you know, U.S. government entity 
Um, but uh, they um, they're, they're based out of the, I think the Seattle area. Um, they fly mainly. Uh, well, I guess it's, they don't do passengers, but um, um, obviously cargo all over the world. They might also have been. Um, um, I think didn't they buy out Flying Tigers year, years ago? I don't uh, recall. Because Flying know. Tigers was started by some ex Flying Tiger pilots yeah. back in the fifties or something like that, um, as I recall, um, or at least the popular popular wisdom is. Um, no, it was then, it was started by some ex Flying Tigers. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but then they uh, were bought out by somebody, and I want to th- say it was EVA or the Evergreen. Well, mm-hmm. it, you know, just talking about the outsized and odd stuff, cargo work that you do. Anybody that was at Air Venture 2008 uh, probably saw the Dreamlifter cargo aircraft mm-hmm. that was created to haul around parts for the Boeing 787. Uh, that conversion work and the operation of that aircraft. Uh, is in the hands of Evergreen International. Mm-hmm. That's not a Boeing operation. Boeing's the client. And being being there in that Seattle area is is a benefit to them when it comes to doing engineering on mm-hmm. airplanes. Yeah. For what it's worth, let's, you know, and and you never know. I'm not trying to claim this is totally a thought authoritative, but I'm reading the Everly- Evergreen International Airlines entry in Wikipedia, uh-huh. and it does make reference to. Uh, it says that. Uh, Evergreen maintains a large aircraft maintenance and storage facility at uh, Pinal or Pinal uh, Air Park in Arizona that the company acquired from the CIA. Hmm. Um, so, uh, well, and it also says Ever- that they do a lot of work for the military. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, Ever- Evergreen does a lot of phenomenal stuff, and I, I, I have to call them, you know, one of the larger GA companies. They've got the Evergreen Aviation Museum there at their home base in Oregon. Yeah, I mean, I give them a lot of credit for that. They, I mean, uh, they, they, they uh, preserved the uh, spruce goose, and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Right, they do uh, humanitarian and relief airlift work. Uh, they got an agricultural products division, uh, their own orchards. Uh, then there's uh, all the aviation work they do, which is, you know, cargo work like the Dreamlifter, uh, firefighting like they do with the super tanker. Uh, they even have a UA, uh, UAV, unmanned aerial systems division. Uh, they do mod work. Uh, they operate. They maintain. They they back up. It's mm-hmm. quite 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 an impressive company. Yeah, and, it does uh, look like uh, uh, interesting. We'll put the link to this Wikipedia thing. All anybody can find it. Uh, but. Uh, um, yeah, evergreenaviation.com. Well, oh, okay. There you go. Well, I'm glad to to, to try and dispel this uh, CIA connection rumor. So, because they're just are into some really cool stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I'm hearing a helicopter operating out the window. I'm not sure if you guys were able to hear that. And uh, but and it's a little. Seems like it's a little early for the tours to be starting. But you never know. And uh, well, like you want to catch this maintenance test top. Yeah. Or, you know, it could be five O. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So there's a story I, I just came across it this morning about some uh, potential huge uh, uh, maintenance grounding of Bonanzas and Barrens. Um, oh, that oh. was a close call. And uh, what's the story there? And did it apply to the your your Debonair it, job? It did not. Um, depending on who you talk to, there is or is not a problem. 
with um, what are called breaker switches uh, installed in um, certain Bonanzas and uh, Barons, um, dating from about the 1970 or so um, time frame. Uh, uh, manufactured dates, I should say, in the 1970 time frame. My airplane is slightly older and for some reason is not affected by the, um, by the airworthiness directive. Basically, a breaker switch is a, a, uh, a switch, but it also has a circuit breaker function to it so that if the circuit becomes overloaded, the breaker portion of the switch will trip and, and uh, uh, open the circuit. Um, you can also obviously uh, you know, toggle it manually. Uh, used for things like landing lights and, and pitot heat or something like that. Um, to uh, um, the uh, at some point, um, Hawker Beechcraft FAA somebody said that there's a problem with these breaker switches, and uh, a couple of them had overheated and um, either caused a fire or a near fire or something like that. Uh, obviously, something that you know you want to try to avoid. Um, so ruin your whole Hawk, day. Ruin your whole day. Hawker Beechcraft and um, the FAA got together and decided they were going to do this big sweeping airworthiness directive that requires replacement of all um, breaker switches of a certain part number installed on certain airplanes dating from, as I said a moment ago, the the 70s or so. Um, the problem is two or threefold. One, there's some anecdotal evidence uh, of some some fires, some some issues with these switches, but there's no real hard and fast um, data uh, over a lengthy period of time saying that these particular components are a a problem mandating. That that, are, that that rises to the situation of having to replace them all in a hurried fashion. Secondly, um, there was a gross, uh, as I recall, gross uh, underestimate uh, of the costs to the economy of replacing all of these switches in, in one fell swoop. Wow, Thirdly, that's never happened before. Yeah, that's never happened before. Thirdly, uh, there aren't enough switches <laughs> to go around. To replace all of them required, uh, all of all of them required that are that are mounted in in the fleet. So what has happened? And and the American Bonanza Society, which is the uh, the type club for Bonanzas and Barons, uh, as well as debonairs, uh, the FAA, Hawker Beechcraft, and a few other entities have been going round and round and round and round and round for months, if not years, on this topic. Um, and the D came out. I don't know a year or so ago, uh, or I won't say a year ago. It's been it's been a several months. Put it that way. Had a um, compliance date of like August six or something like that of this year. Um, recently, it's become increasing or apparent to even the FAA. Let's put it that way, that there aren't enough of these breaker switches in stock in the pipeline uh, and or to will be manufactured. Uh, by the time of the deadline to bring all of the fleet into compliance with the AD. So, wiser heads finally have prevailed, and the uh, FAA has um, developed as a, not a, um, a postponement of the effective date, but an alternative means of compliance, an AMOC, 
uh, the exact nuances of which escape me, but I think basically it comes down to if you have documented proof that you have ordered uh, the switches for your aircraft and documentation that they're no longer that they are not available and you have an expect shipment date, you can continue to fly the plane, uh, okay. uh, which is a kind of a no- <clears throat> excuse me a novel way to do it. Uh, but the punchline is that um, the arguments being made by owners and operators, as well as the ABS, uh, for several months to the effect that there isn't enough quantity of these switches in production or in the pipeline to do this, that that argument has been proven valid. Mm-hmm. Hmm. This happens once in a while. It uh, does. You know, where uh, a, a, a well-intentioned and, and you know, even justifiable Airworthiness directive like this runs up against the wall of uh, uh, of reality limitations. In this case, the available supply of the breaker switch, and uh, uh, I'm surprised they didn't give an alternative method of compliance that also allowed you to just put in a standard switch and wire it to a new breaker. But that that's really getting into some work to do that. Yeah, that is. That Do is. these alternative means of compliance things um, ever include some sort of special limitation on the use of the aircraft until it's completed? You know, like, AMOC, VF, like VFR day uh, only kind of limitations? Or uh, Well, AMOCs are kind of generic in, in the sense that um, alternative means of compliance um, are frequent uh, over time anyway. Uh, they've been developed frequently. For example... On my airplane, again, um, years ago, the FAA issued a, uh, an airworthiness directive against um, the rudder hinges that were prone to cracking uh, okay. in early models. Uh-huh. And uh, you could um, inspect those hinges periodically per the AD. Um, subsequently, uh, initially, the, the, the AD, I think, required either replacement with stock parts or a repetitive inspection of those rudder hinges. Um, eventually, someone developed an improved hinge and um, received an STC for that hinge. The FAA then made installation of that hinge um, an AMOC, an, an, an alternate means of compliance with the AD. Uh-huh. If you installed that hinge, then the AD itself was terminated. There were no more inspections, no more replacements. And, for example, on my airplane, that's exactly what had been done before I purchased it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that AD, does, it applies to my airplane, but it's been complied with, yeah. right. as opposed to having to do the periodic inspections. There was uh, There's a couple of other little things like that affecting my airplane, all of which I've done the AMOX on. And the the AD while it applies is no longer um, uh, effective, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes terminating <clears throat> actions are part of the original airworthiness directive. Right. Very often they're not, particularly airworthiness directives that uh, uh, have as the uh, uh, required action uh, a repetitive inspection, like Jeb's talking about on right. those on those hinges. Uh, you know, we when we owned Air Comanche. Uh, when we bought the airplane, it was up to date on compliance with all the ADs. Uh, but a number of them were recurring, uh, which, depending on the, the, the cycle time, can get to be a real pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. And most of the recurring ones, uh, there were, I 
two notable exceptions, three notable exceptions. Uh, there was terminating action for all of them, except mm-hmm. for these three. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, the particularly onerous one, required a 100-hour pressure check and inspection of the exhaust system looking for cracks or leaks in the muffler itself. Yeah. And every muffler available qualified as a terminating action for it because everything being built at that time uh, had a different design than the original muffler, the one that prompted the awareness directive. And it didn't take much math. I mean, we were we were logging around 165 hours, 175 hours a year. Uh, it didn't take much math to figure out that buying a muffler, even though we had a perfectly serviceable one there, buying a muffler that qualified to, as a terminating uh, uh, item for the airworthiness directive was just smart money. Yeah, yeah. Because we were running up to the edge of having to do a minimum of two it pressure checks of the exhaust system a year. And it's like, holy cow, guys. Uh, and some guy had been living with it. Yeah. It turned out he'd only been flying the airplane like 25 hours a year. That only came up every four years, except it always came up during the annual inspection anyway. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and that, that certainly, you know, these these ADs with, with short compliance times can start running into real money if you're flying the airplane a lot, and that's a great example, that, that 100-hour inspection on, a, on an exhaust system, um, and you did the right thing in, in getting, you know, get, uh, complying with the uh, AD and, and getting an AMOC qualified part and, and um, uh, writing off that AD and never have, really having to worry about it again. But some of these repetitive inspections also, it's arguable, do more damage uh, than they do good because you're always disassembling the airplane and yeah. reassembling it, yeah. um, right. and um, you can create other problems while you're you're slaying the dragon of of the problem that was originally uh, called for. So, uh, how you deal with an AD and and uh, um, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. It's interesting to me that in this this um, Bonanza Baron circuit breaker or breaker switch uh, AD that the older airplanes are exempt from this in that they have older switches. It's and a different design. It's a different it's, switch it's, design. It, yeah, it, 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 it can be, um, but the way the AD is written, um, I don't even have to go look. Yeah. Yeah, I, that yeah. struck me when we were talking about that the older is better, but uh, but it, it like Dave says, it's probably a design thing. It's not an age thing. It's a design thing. And uh, but the, well, I guess my point is the switches could have been replaced with the offending switches, but the way the AD is written, I, having the oh. older airplane, I don't even have to go look. So yeah. it's it's just I it's see. just a little okay. it's just a little curious, and uh, you know, far be it from me to suggest that. Um, um, the FAA and, and Hawker Beechcraft and or other entities might have been in collusion trying to sell a few switches. Yeah, yeah. But I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to suggest that. No, 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 no. no well, no. I, since uh, since Hawker Beach doesn't make these bloody switches, uh, yeah, but the, but you can order them from Hawker Beach. Oh, I'm and, sure. And you kind of sort of, um, 
depending on, you know, I don't know all the nuances on this AD. We could get Tom Turner or somebody from ABS on and talk about it some more. But uh, um, the way the AD could be structured is it mandates a Hawker Beechcraft part number, which means that you have to buy it from Hawker Beechcraft. Hmm. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, basically, unrelated to the story, uh, the uh, the uh, breaker switch story, but we're looking at the uh, aeronews.net story covering this, and there's a great picture here from Oshkosh. This is the uh, Bonanza, the B2B, the Bonanza to, uh-huh. to uh, uh-huh. uh, B2. It is B2B. B2B. What is it? Bonanza's no, to B2Osh. B2O, right. B2-osh. yeah, B2O, B2O, right? Um, where uh, just a whole slew of bonanzas are taxiing into the North Forty here. It's a great yeah, picture. Yeah, that's, uh, that's between uh, nine two seven and the south half of the uh, North yeah, Forty campground. Yeah. Dave, uh, uh, Jeb, did you ever, did you ever participate in this? I have not. Um, that's got to be always, a trip, I'll tell you. Yeah, right. I've always in, in the past. I've always had to get in earlier. Oh, of course, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, to be there for Oshkosh and. Um, um, I've just never done. It's it's not just show up and let's go fly in formation to Oshkosh. These guys practice. Yep. They train uh, for months before this flight. Right. You have to they, be. You have to be some sort of. I mean, it's, you have it's not to, like an FAA approved, certification, but yeah. it's like a club certification or something exactly. like that. Exactly. You have to be approved for this, um, uh, and basically approved by your peers. Uh, to participate in this uh, uh, flight, it's not just show up and, and as I say, let's let's go fly to Oshkosh. Yeah, they um, they, they practice it regionally. Um, they have uh, training um, uh, sessions that are conducted various places and lo- and times throughout the year, uh, and then they regroup uh, in in uh, Rockford, Illinois, a few days. Uh, beforehand mm-hmm. and i think you know in the evenings alcohol might be involved i'm <laughs> not right, sure yeah. right um and no. then <laughs> but they do this it's it's really a science the way they do this um the, the faster airplanes head out first the slower ones uh um follow up and and uh, um they've practiced not only the the formation flying but the formation takeoffs and landing yeah so, yeah um, yeah and they, and they, they know what they're doing. Yeah, and and uh, although they have an excellent safety record, I, I confess to being a little stressed watching this thing every time because these airplanes land, you know, like you know, one after the other after the other. And uh, there, there, there's been there's been one I know of yeah. uh, get rankled on arrival. Yeah. Uh, but it's like things you don't even think about garage, necessarily. It, that, it wasn't it wasn't formation related. I can tell you as, as a yeah. As yeah. There, there was a guy a couple of years ago who kind of landed on the nose wheel or something um, on um, three six right, which is the basically the taxiway there, uh, uh, and and kind of pranked his his prop or something. Uh, was it last year? I think it was the year before. Uh, a guy uh, suffered an engine failure uh, shortly after takeoff from uh, from Rockford, and uh, put his plane down in a cornfield, and he yeah. walked away. And the airplane's flown again since, and things like that. Um, there's never been a midair. There's never been any any uh, rubbing of paint or anything like that. No. Uh, and and uh, it's it's quite a quite the deal. Yeah, uh, these, yeah, these guys do a great job, and it's really magnificent to watch uh, them land. Uh, it's it's uh, very very um, uh, I won't say awe inspiring, but it's it's very uh, uh, colorful. Yeah, 
It is for cool. sure. But it, and, it, and, and, it, and it certainly and gives a new and, yeah. and shut down all of the North 40 at the same time. It's, it gives a it gives a new level of urgency to the term, you know, minimum time on the runway. You need to, you know, well, there's that. There's a lot of airplanes behind you. You need to keep rolling and uh, keep your speed up, keep moving. Um and uh, you know, follow the flagman's directions, and and don't talk on the radio. That's right. Uh, Which is kind of kind of the rule of thumb for landing at Oshkosh, anyway. Yeah, yeah I, that's uh, you know, that's hang up the mic, listen, and wag your wings when asked. Right. Yeah. So I put on the list uh, to suggesting that we might want to talk about the new FAA administrator. You, and I'm not sure what there is to say about this, um, although except that, and this sort of went by my by me real quickly. I don't know if it was last week or a recent episode, Dave. That that you have history with this guy. That uh, um, well, yeah, we uh, we were uh, we we were familiar faces to one another and on speaking terms. Uh, so Gee, let's just put aside 20, for a second. Twenty years, twenty years ago. Let's just put aside for a second the you know whatever politics might be involved here, or you know crowing about the fact that finally we have a pilot as the administrator and that kind of thing. Um, and admittedly, maybe a long time ago, what's this guy like? Is he a good guy? You know, uh, do you want to have a beer with him? Or um, I always seemed that way to me. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, straight up guy. Uh, you know, true human being. Uh, uh, very very experienced pilot, GA pilot, airline pilot, union executive for a long time. He was president of the Airline Pilots Association. He was per- he was the uh, head of the Eastern Airlines unit uh, for a number of years. He followed his father's footsteps into Eastern uh, and has spent years uh, since his ALPA days doing uh, consulting work uh, for aviation uh, clients. And uh, working for one of the big firms in D.C., working for himself for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharp he- Cookie understands how the system works, understand why the system needs to work. Uh, I can't imagine that he's coming to this with a bureaucrat's mindset as much as he's coming to it with a pilot's sensitivities and sensibilities about what needs to be done and with the administrative experience to work with the bureaucrats and make it happen. And he's already ratcheted up the pressure uh, on the folks inside FAA to start generating some movement on implementing NextGen and uh, uh, ADSB uh, on the basis of saw the statement a couple of days ago. We already have the technology. Right. It's already proven itself. It's already established. It's already available. Uh, the WAS network is up and running. Uh, you know, why are we still looking at 2020 as an implementation date for this? Uh, we should be adapting procedures and moving in that direction now. Uh, and just a stunning little piece of, of, of aviation news that came out in the wake of the Air France crash was an international flight uh, to Europe uh, that went flew solely by GPS navigation. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, guys. This you is can do that? 2000 freaking nine. And, you know, international air carrier ops are just getting the idea that they could take more direct routes 
with uh, uh, the GPS and FMS, with using the GPS aspect of their FMS, flight management systems. Yeah. Uh, you know, big airplane flight management systems are just wonders of technology, blending several kind of navigation uh, uh, technology, GPS, inertial reference, uh, and, you know, plain old-fashioned VHF and ADF, all into the box. The... Uh, the system knows how to use all that stuff, but and 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 ETOPS extended twin engine overwater operations, uh, where they're allowed to go now three hours, 180 minutes from a suitable landing alternative. That means that they can go over water three hours from dry land. In the event that they have an engine loss, they can get there in three hours on the remaining engine. Uh, they have still used these fixed tracks that were established back in the days of celestial navigation, deduced reckoning, and ADF-only routing across the North Atlantic and across parts of uh, the, the South Atlantic where South America and, and Africa are close by, uh, close by as in 2,700 miles. But, uh, wow, it just floored me. Wow, the airline announced that they were doing an experiment that they figure was going to save them thousands of pounds and thousands of dollars in fuel by using GPS routing to take the most efficient uh, uh, course to, to Europe. And I'm going, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. One of the dirty little secrets here is that the the average airliner has less... Uh, high-end navigation equipment in it than the average general aviation airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, they have you know VORs and they have ILS. They probably have an ADF. Um, they the newer ones do in fact have you know some kind of a GPS or or uh, accurate long-range navigation system. Let me let me put it in that fashion. Um, but for any number of reasons, um, either they don't use it. Or the the routings that uh, ATC puts them onto doesn't allow them to use it as 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 well as they could. Um, some of this is an airspace issue. Some of this is a regulatory issue. Uh, a lot of it still comes down to being a pavement issue. Um, <laughs> the the um, the ADSB thing and and you know. Just Babbitt generally for a moment. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to to what Babbitt can do at the FAA. He he, uh, I, I've worked with him in the past when he was at Alpa back in the '80s. Uh, not that he he would know me or remember me, um, but he, he's a pilot. He's 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 flown the line. Um, he's uh, been in management. Um, he knows the FAA kind of inside and out over over decades, literally. Um, he's a good choice, and I'm I'm kind of uh, cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just on just from the standpoint that you know, unlike the and not to take anything away from the previous two administrators, but they were not pilots. Babbitt right. is, yeah. and uh, well, that in and of itself is 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 very very good. Um, the the ADSB well, thing. Not, not only were they not pilots, and and then I'll let you get back to it. Not only were they not pilots, their aviation credentials. In Toto, yeah, were pretty were pretty slim. They were they were self loading cargo on occasion, and that that's kind of their their uh, <laughs> uh, 
Well, Jane, Jane, uh, Garvey, Jane Garvey was an official with Massport that had right. responsibility for running uh, the, uh, the Massachusetts Port Authority, which you know runs Boston Logan. Uh, and she'd been involved in transportation issues. Uh, the the most recent one, uh, if I remember right, she'd served on the NTSB. And right. that was kind of the alpha and omega of her aviation experience. She'd investigated some aviation accidents. Uh, and she'd been a good soldier in the administration and so on and so forth. Uh, those are, you know, the idea... I've always disputed this idea that you can just drop anybody with excellent administrative skills into these jobs because the bureaucracy is going to support them and, and help them be effective. Uh, I think that's bogus. I think it's bunk. I think you mm -hmm. need the expertise at whatever agency you're working, you're heading in, in that area. Uh, so that, you know, when you've got smoke coming up your pants legs from the bureaucrats that are there to help mm -hmm. you. That's right. That's right. And you can, and, and, you know, I've seen this with Garvey and I've seen it with, um, and I can't think of her name either. Um, uh, Marion Blakey, uh, How soon where, we forget. You know, they go in, they bring in, you know, a cadre of, of people close to them to help staff their particular office. But, whether it's at the administrator level or at the staff level in the administrator's office, these people don't know the agency, and and um, they don't they can't tell when they're being they're having smoke blown at them or not. And um, you know the the uh, uh, the problem is <clears throat> is uh, um, self evident yeah. in a lot of different ways. Sounds very well, encouraging. I don't think that another thing that encourages me somewhat cautiously guardedly about. Randy Babbitt's confirmation and, and elevation to administrator of the FAA is the guy that's his boss, mm -hmm. uh, the Secretary of Transportation, Ray LaHood, uh, former Republican congressman from Peoria, Illinois, uh, who arrived on the job with many of the same issue goals as Babbitt brings to the job, among mm -hmm. them uh, forging uh, a workable, humane relationship with the controllers' union, uh, and and try to undo the damage done by the last administration and the last administrator when they refused to uh, let a contract negotiation go to binding arbitration, and just basically handed a a, a contract settlement to the controllers, said take it or leave it, right, and then boasted how the pay freezes and and other onerous constraints wouldn't weren't expected to prompt an increase in retirement so why would they leave getting the you know getting the uh, beeped into the stick uh and of course as we've seen in the years since that uh, uh contract was uh, that settlement that's not a contract that settlement was forced on the co on the controllers uh the uh, controllers retiring as early as possible have been off the scale the FAA yeah. can't hire and train replacements to a full performance level nearly fast enough to keep up, which has caused some other problems. And in, in, in I think it's a wonder we haven't had more issues than we've had, like uh, same controller uh, clearing two airplanes to the same runway, one to land and one to take off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we just did see that here recently. Uh -huh. uh, I forget. I forget which airport it was at, but uh, um, um, uh, aircraft cleared for. And I think it was an RJ uh, at the at the um, 
uh, approaching a runway cleared for takeoff when there's a PC-12 that's been put in position uh, somewhere down the runway. For an intersection and, takeoff. <laughs> for an intersection, yeah, for an intersection takeoff on the same runway. And and uh, Wiserheads, uh, I don't know exactly the sequence of the events. PC, but The PC-12 pilot caught the yeah. uh, uh, discrepancy, saw the right. airplane rolling, and hustled made his, a, uh, made his a, little made a call right across yeah. the runway. Made a call, got out of the way. Um, the um, the news reports that I saw said that the RJ came to rest ten feet from the PC twelve, yeah. uh, which is you know a too close and, and b too damn close. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I, labor relations is clearly a, an area where the FAA has sucked uh, for for some time, um, and with Babbitt's background. Clearly, there's a lot of optimism. Um, the real issue is, you know, what he, what is he going to be allowed to do? What is he going to be allowed to get away with? Um, and I, I'm not speaking so much of, of LaHood, but uh, uh, other powers that be within the new uh, administration. Uh, the, I, don't, I don't know. I'm optimistic that, you know, we can all, you know, sing Kumbaya at some point. But I just, I just don't see that happening yeah, uh, yeah. in the short run. I don't. Uh, there's, I don't just, there's just too much um, um, water under that bridge. Um, but clearly, the controller workforce needs a, a better deal than it's been getting. Yeah, I don't usually attend the uh, meet the boss uh, session with the administrator uh, at Oshkosh, but I think I'm going to go out of my way to do it. Check this guy out. Sounds like a good guy, and uh, yeah, sounds very yeah, very encouraging. This year will be interesting. Um, uh, unlike um, you know a couple of Marion Barry's um, appearances, especially her first couple, where you know she's still new on the job and she's you know Mar- asking Mar- for a Mar- buy. Marion Marion Blakey. But, what did I, I said Barry, yeah. Uh, never mind. <laughs> whole, whole, whole nother uh, uh, order, <laughs> yeah. order of magnitude more surreal. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Barry, uh, yeah, to say yeah. the least. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, um, we need to start wrapping this thing up. Uh, any of these other items you don't want to let go, or can we, uh, can we put a no, fork in it? No, I, I need more coffee. Okay. I want to give a quick... Well, we'll do shout-outs here, but just uh, uh, these well, new I, stories. I want to I give quick credence to uh, uh, Eagle Pilot and some of the folks, Ruckin and Pilot Bill from Texas, uh, for coming up with a collection of, uh, of uh, different translations for TSA for us. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, along with the standard thousand standing around, uh, we've had one like... This stuff's annoying. The scare army treating society awkwardly since 2001. The secret alliance. The syndicate of agony. The source (laughs) of aggravation. Thousands squandering assets. Tormenting staunch Americans. uh, Torpedoing sane aviation. uh, Jiminy, they're so anal. (laughs) <laughs> trying to suffocate aviation, taking stuff away from Scoffrejet, uh, totally stifling aviation or air travel, travel suppressing agency, uh, <laughs> transcending sensible arrangements or arguments in mind, and totally screwing up America. So uh, folks love them to death. If anybody's got any more, uh, plug them in. They are in the uh, other topics section under TSA stands for. 
Uh, we'll give it another month and read any other new editions there that you go. folks came up there with in another edition of This is Silly Always. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, my my long term favorite is came out, you know, in '02 when right after TSA had been created, and uh, but my, my favorite is Too Stupid to Ask. <laughs> Any other shout-outs? Anybody got anything? Mine is totally superfluous agency because I honestly still don't see what they're doing that we need. But yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah. Right. And we, we can do a TSA special episode That's right. Point. That's what it would be, the whole yeah, uh, TSA all the time. Uh, shout-outs, any others? Shout-outs, shout-outs, While you're thinking about that, I'm going to uh, remind everybody that uh, pretty soon now we are doing the uh, the uh, Central Mass uh, UCAP uh, drive-in fly-in on June 27th at Barnes Municipal Airport in uh, Westfield, Massachusetts. So uh, come on by for that. Uh, We're going to be gathering just before lunchtime, uh, probably at the uh, the, – uh, there's a restaurant on the field there, and I think that's where, probably where we're going to get together, um, or just watch, look for us on the uh, GA ramp or the GA FBO or something like that, and uh, check the uh, website and the forums for more details as we get a little bit closer to that. But that's on June 27th, and I uh, just wanted to call it. So I've, uh, it's it's gotten to be pretty daylight out here. The sun's still. It's actually totally overcast now here in Las Vegas, um, but uh, it's bright out, and I can see the airport. It's pretty cool. One of those 737s uh, taxied out a little while ago, uh, uh, presumably carrying a bunch of uh, top-secret people to uh, Area 51. And uh, well, I'm, but- I'm actually planning to take a walk. So I'm looking out my window here, and I can see that there's a road that goes all the way down into the midst of these uh, these big uh, GA uh, FBOs. And uh, I'm going to take a walk down there and see how close I can get to eyeball these private 747s and just the, let us know where to send the bail money yeah, that's right that's yeah. right that's right <laughs> see if i can find that cia ramp here someplace take, take huh? your passport with you yeah there's a 737 on short final just coming over the numbers here on the south runway and uh, getting ready to touch down any other shout outs just yeah, want to uh, say a real quick one to uh the folks down in uh, uh bartlesville oklahoma uh last weekend uh, they uh held the sunset uh biplane expo uh that they've had down there for i don't know close to 30 years it seemed like charlie harris and the gang they had hundred and some odd biplanes they had a couple of hundred other airplanes they had good weather good crowd uh sorry to see it go uh but you guys did a hell of a job and i hope that uh, the the museum the biplane museum there continues to be a draw for yeah, us that's great uh so no yep. more biplane expo, but it was a hell of a run. Yep. Definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, that's uh, Dave Higdon is a, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, uh, Wichita phone book. Uh, <laughs> the the odd post office bulletin board. Uh, you know, occasionally at Dead Cow International or Savut's uh, uh, Stick and Rudder Club. Uh, uh, you know, wherever bad pennies tend to turn up, I'm Savut's apt to show up. Stick and Rudder Club? That sounds like, you know, a, a Poncho Barnes Happy Bottom Riding Club thing. Well, it's not far from that uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, it's uh, a totally aviation theme bar uh, that's kind of a. a harkens back to the 
late 80s when you still had to belong to a private club to go someplace to drink. Uh, restaurants and bars had to be separated by physical doors. Uh, they were separate businesses. You had to be a member to go into the bar. You had to bring your own booze. Uh, and John Savute and his family, the late John Savute, very active in the local aviation community. It's decorated with uh, first-class airline seats and uh, a lot of aviation memorabilia. Uh, it's where a lot of the local CAF flight safety and general pilot population reprobates from the area go hang out. They have a happy hour on Wednesday evenings uh, with a little buffet service and, uh, uh, you know, just kind of a nice place to go hang out and uh and, and enjoy the uh, and enjoy the uh, company of other aviators. Yeah, I'm telling you, Wichita must be the. I think that's the place to live. I, I the, Except for the tornado thing. The, the yeah. tornado thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we get all twisted up over that. And Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a good place, and uh, uh, my personal website, JeBurnside.com. Uh, occasionally, I will pop up on uh, on AvWeb. Uh, actually, we're we're trying to put the finishing touches on uh, that video we talked about uh, last week. We're trying to put the finishing touches on it this week. Cool. So, can you tell us the subject uh, of the video? This is uh, uh, um, portable tie downs. Um, oh, that's right. You talked about that. Uh, okay, um, yeah. Tie down anchors, I should say, uh, the kind you you hammer into the ground. Yeah, a lot of a lot of very very you know gnarly technical details there. You want to make sure you get right, right? Well, that and, and uh, you know, there's different styles and uh, of anchors. Um, we didn't do a lot of testing on, uh, you know, do you tie at an angle? Do you, what kind of knots do you tie? That kind of stuff's been, been done. Um, but we did look at uh, what the FAA recommends and has recommended for years. Um, <clears throat> we looked at uh, uh, the different portable anchors that are on the market. Uh, all of this was in a... Um, a um, June uh, article in uh, in Aviation Consumer Magazine, but uh, we're looking to try to get the accompanying video up very soon. Cool, cool. I guess seven, one of the 737s is returning now. It's taxiing in. And I'm so Jack that was, def- that was definitely an Area 51. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of them, so who knows how long oh, this okay. one's been gone. Yeah, it may yeah. not be the same one, right. but... Uh, uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more, more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. That's Scoffrey in the forums. If you see him there, say hi and say thank you. Thanks to uh, the many of our listeners, and particularly to Royce Earl and Mike Morgan for the show opening disclaimer clips. We are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. And uh, also, while you're there at the website, don't forget that you can visit with all of us there at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the movies list, and more. That's all at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? If you want to live longer, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. uh, That's enough talking for today. Let's go flying. TTFN. TTFN.